Hello, I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Fantasy number 15, and of course, all of the Amazing Spider-Man annuals, which also do not count. It's funny you say, of course, uh, because I, I might take issue to your assertion of, of such. I am Dapper Dan Gavostin. I Yes, I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, and for me... Of course, that means the annuals. So I'm surprised you agree with me, Mark, that the annuals uh, are, are included in that collection because I say they definitely count. But I will, I will concede to you, Mark. Uh, for me, Amazing Fantasy 15 remains purely a fantasy. Well, you know, when 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 you own everything, like literally everything, Dan. I mean, like those annuals. Say, yeah, you know, of course, like they they exist. But I mean, counting, you know. No, but right. Anyway, you 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 go on with your intros, sir. I don't want to make. I don't. I don't want to. I don't, don't want to pile on here. <laughs> well, welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider Talk. And if you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app. And of course, of course, of course, leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. Uh, and also, if you want to catch up with all of our thoughts that about Spider-Man and adjacent Spider-Man stuff that have not showed up in our podcast, you should subscribe to our Substack at amazingspider.substack.com. Yeah, and this podcast exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep this podcast going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and consider joining our Patreon. Today, Mark, we're going to do something a little bit different. Normally, we talk about all of the kind of like just generally numbered issues of Amazing Spider-Man, but this is one of those special... Really, it probably should have been a numbered issue of Spider-Man. We are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Gang War First Strike, number one. A long title, um, <laughs> but a, an exciting issue that definitely needs to be read for the upcoming Gang War arc. So this issue was written by Zeb Wells with help from Cody Ziegler, I assume on the Miles stuff. The cover artwork is by John Romita Jr., Scott Hanna, and Marcia Menez. And interior artwork is by Joe, Joey Vasquez with Julian Shaw. And colors by Brian Valenza. And, of course, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on November 29th, 2023. And a special note, it was dedicated to Joey's late mother, Sherry Ann Myers. So, Mark, why don't you tell us about all the crazy stuff that happened in Gang War First Strike Number 1. 
Sure thing, Dan. Well, you know, last time you told me to shorten the recaps and then you ended up adding stuff in it after the fact. Well, now I'm just going to go whole hog on a recap here, Dan. So uh, buckle up. It's also a very long issue. So uh, we'll see how long this goes. <laughs> anyway, we open on Arthur Avenue where the owl is angrily banging his fists on the table while the crime master, Mr. Negative, and others look on. <laughs> Wait a second, is that Shang-Chi? Oh man, someone is going to have to explain some Marvel status quoology to me. You see, all of these gangsters are arguing about territory, which only means one thing, a gang war. Good thing this is a one-shot dedicated exclusively to that purpose. Hammerhead and his girlfriend join the fray, and he immediately gets called out for trying to make a move immediately after Madame Mask gets off, and yeah, Dad and I have been saying this the whole time. It seems curious from the get-go, right? I wonder if that'll get resolved anytime soon. So we move on to Janice Lincoln, and she shows up, and she immediately sits down in her father's empty chair, and the other mobsters are like, that's not how this works. You have to take over a crime territory by paying your dues, like mopping bathroom stalls and such. You know, honest work. Anyway, Hammerhead is all, thanks again for letting me show up to your wedding and ruining it. And Janice is like, keep Randy's name out of your effing mouth. But before she could slap Hammerhead at an award show, he brings up the fact that Randy going around trying to get superheroes legal again is exactly the kind of thing they all need to be concerned with. So it's decided. Janice is going to kill Randy, and that's that. To brighten the mood, Spider-Man is having a battle with Slide before Miles Morales interjects and slashes Slide with an energy sword. And Spider-Man is like, hey, I didn't know you could do that. Heck, neither did I, Dan. And Miles is like, that's what happens when you ghost folks and or don't read their monthly books all that closely. So Miles reads Peter the Riot Act. He's a bad mentor and friend. You know, all the things Dan is going on about on social media. Spidey is trying to apologize and Miles tells him actions speak louder and he should join the movement to get Mayor Luke Cage to reinstate superheroes. Miles then swings off with a final mic drop, leaving Peter stunned, yet deep in thought. Over to Gracie Mansion, and Mayor Cage is talking to Randy about the big protests he started about the superhero repeal, while Hammerhead and his girl, gotta keep mentioning that girl, Dan, they drive by. We flash over to Randy in an empty stairwell when Janice shows up. Randy brushes her off, bringing up how her mobster ties ruined his precious wedding day. What a groomzilla. Before Janice slams him against the wall and asks if Randy thinks she's a murderer, like her father. Randy says no, but knows someone put her up to this, and right on cue, Janice backs down in time for a bunch of thugs with guns to show up and open fire, but not before. Okay, Dan, say the magic words. Look out! I mean, really, look out. Like, at this point, I think this is less about me speculating about lookouts and more like, can we say watch out? Can we say cover your head? Can, can Writers, you need something else besides look out. I'm tired of calling this out, but it's every issue now. It's either a joke from Nick Lowe who's listening and making fun of me and, and making it a mandate or we're just getting lazy. No more lookout, please. I beg you. All right, before Dan falls apart. So, Spider-Man shows up in Mayor Cage's office, but Cage looks despondent. Spidey wants to talk superhero laws, but Cage ominously suggests no one told you. Before we flash over to Robbie, sitting by Tombstone's side when a nurse busts in saying, you're okay, we thought you had been shot. 
before admitting they got the wrong Robertson. And that's some real doctor from Arrested Development energy right there, folks. Robbie is off in time to intercept a very bloody Randy on a gurney, being chased behind by Janice before Robbie tells her to get the hell away from his son. Emotions are running real high right now. That brings us over to Hammerhead and the girlfriend. And the girl doesn't like that he had the kid shot and Hammerhead gets all domestic abusey about it before rambling on with a Dr. Evil rat, giving the girl enough time to grab a bar and start smashing his head in. Apparently, it's laced with adamantium and magic. And after a pretty bloody beating, Janice comes through the window in time for the girlfriend to reveal that she's been Madame Mask all along. Apparently, <laughs> I know, right? Shocked. Pretend to be shocked face. Apparently, she went to the same hiring agency that Norman Osborn did back in the day to find a lookalike to get killed by her while playing Hammerhead's girl. And then he told her the entire plan like the idiot that he is, which, for whatever reason, Madame Mask is now doing to Janice. These damn supervillain types just can't help but spill the beans. Janice is still distraught about Randy, but Mask tells her now everyone is going to make a move on Hammerhead's territory, treaties will fail, and chaos will erupt on the streets leading to a war. You might even call it a gang war, Dan. Back at the hospital, Spider-Man shows up in the window where Robbie sits by Randy's side. Robbie tells Spidey he shouldn't be here. He should be out there fighting for what Randy was fighting for. Spidey shows some doubts. He's even able to do the right thing before Robbie lectures him about Randy's cause. He got shot for what he believed in, and that's a tragedy, but it's also a story, a story he might die for. Spidey can't let that story end in vain, so right on cue, an explosion from outside, and Spidey gets ready to swing into action. One last exchange with Janice and Madame Mask. Janice is ready to defend Harlem with her life, and Mask mocks her, saying she'll be there to pick up whatever's left before giving Shotgun a call and confirming that she hired him in the first place. Over to Luke Cage, and Spidey shows up, webs the door shut, and tells him to stay out of the way. Luke says he'll tell the cops to leave him alone, and Spicy tells no, not just him, but the team he's about to put together. And that is our issue, Dan. We're doing an Ocean's Eleven. One could only hope. Let's get the gag. Well, Mark, it's been nearly a decade since the last gang war in the pages of these comics in Jerry Conway's 2015 Spiral Story. Can you believe it was wow. <laughs> almost a decade ago? And here we are at the precipice of another one. I did, And I, I dare say none of the previous gang war stories have ever really balanced the citywide scale with the personal stakes for Spider-Man. They tend to land on like one side of that equation and typically each one kind of hollows out the other. But did this first chapter of this new gang war story do anything to convince you that this might be the one to pull it off? I mean, that's a loaded question. To have. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, like, yes, as you noted, this far and away has the, the most personal stakes. It's also like, I feel like definitely like the largest in scope, although if we go back to the 1980s and what we're going to be talking about in season six with that gang war, that that at least that storyline ties in elements of Daredevil's Born Again. So it kind of feels very inclusive of Marvel as a whole. But but, you know, between all of the different miniseries and ongoings that are going to be impacted by this, you know, this definitely feels like the most ambitious gang war to date. And yet at the same time, I feel like, you know, I, I dare I say 
this this is like I feel like the most Spider-Man centric event that that has like real like Spider-Man stakes to it probably since Spider Island maybe uh in terms of like how like even with all these other moving pieces like at the core it's a Spider-Man story and and that left me very excited for what's to come here. I mean this is this is a a, a big bombastic issue and yet I never really felt at any point what the Spider-Man of it all got left behind. So with that in mind, I'm I'm very excited about what this issue introduced. I, I like you, uh, agree. I think this is a really exciting start to an event, which is something, you know, you can roll the record back on you and I saying, what an exciting start to a storyline. <laughs> um, you know, like th- they tend to fall apart, not here. We can get things rolling and, and then we have a hard time resolving it. Maybe that's the nature of sequential comics. I thought this one was especially strong in that I have a very clear sense of what Spider-Man has to prove or go up against in this. What he needs to defeat, I don't really know. Like, this is a citywide problem. You know, it's not going to be like, take down the big boss and the rest of it follows, is my imagination. This is a multifaceted thing, and in my mind, that does a really great job of, like, selling all the other B titles, which you and I are going to be covering on the Substack. Um, and I think I've already gotten off to a great start. And, and I really want to know all the facets of all the moving pieces. But secondarily to that, I actually think, you know, I think we thought that dead language was going to be the story that tied together what Wells is trying to do. And I think we both agree that as thrilling as that story was until the final chapter, it kind of didn't stick that landing. And To me, this feels like maybe it is a conclusion to the first chapter of Wells' ongoing story, Um, or maybe it's even like represents a pivot in his story away from what we were getting, which is to say depressed, helpless Spider-Man. Up until now, like, you know, and through dead language, we've seen Spider-Man like wallowing in defeat in misery at the loss of MJ and the loss of Kamala Khan, longtime Spider-Man supporting cast member. But here, like the whole thesis of this issue is Robbie and Randy calling out Spider-Man and saying like, prove to us why you're a hero. And Miles even gets to say that too. And I'm hoping that this gang war is going to be the test of Spider-Man's resolve as to like why he is worthy of being a hero. And as messy as the path to get here has been throughout the Zeb Wells run. And you and I have cataloged our thoughts up and down, et cetera, you know, and the emotional path hasn't always been easy to follow. I do feel like this, it seems to be the place where the pieces are snapping together and we're going to get like some kind of emotional catharsis repeater that hopefully launches us into the next stage. Did you feel any of that reading the book or am I really just kind of in my as the Twitter would say it, my Zeb Wells supporting haze. <laughs> oh uh, man, as you, you, will. you you yeah. you shill that. No, I I one hundred I one hundred percent agree with that assessment. I mean, I feel like again the the the, the premise that was introduced here seemed very focused on Peter and Peter's journey in a way that we really haven't seen. I mean, you know, it's it's funny that we talk about like. Well, you know, like Dead Language is kind of almost existing as like a bookend to the first part of 
the Zeb Wells run, because even though like that was like the story that they were technically building towards, like you said, like really, and this is probably the biggest criticism of that story that we could say. I mean, like we were almost building to get back to the beginning of the story because we kind of start where we start and then we end and we come back to it. You know what I mean? So this is this is truly this storyline is truly the first step forward for Peter, just even in terms of just logistical plotting. I'm very heartened by the fact that the creators at Zeb and Cody Ziegler here and his parts chose, you know, in doing that, that they were going to do it in a way where they, they really wanted to address some of the regression in the character that, that we've seen over the past year and change. And, and, you know, they call him out for it, you know, again, at least in the context of this comic, they're moving him forward, but they're also moving other things forward, not just related to Peter, but are adjacent to Peter, you know, in terms of the Janice Lincoln stuff, you know, like, like, like th there's a lot of like stuff within this here. And then of course you have this expansive, you know, territory battle with all these different gangs here, you know, it's kind of the, the, the background color to all this, but like, you know, I feel like in terms of some of the core characters that we've been following all along over the the last year and change, like it really seems like, but like it really seems like there is a determination to start resolving these stories and setting these characters up in a, in a situation where the, they can then move into another direction. And that's 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 what you want to see in an event like this. It's it, 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 we're, we're, you know like obviously we got several chapters ahead of us to see where landings are stuck or not. You know, in terms of a setup, they they seem very, yeah, determined is the word I keep coming back to. They seem very determined to kind of like, I don't want to say address the criticisms of the book, but address address where the characters have been and 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 find ways to move forward from them. And that's that's what you want in comics, you know, like, oh, we want growth. Well, we're getting growth. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes that means having a regression because like things have to re like revert to the to the mean at some point. What have you thought about the rollout of gang war itself? I mean, one of my things I, I was worried about was how many players were involved. Is this going to be very confusing? And I think here they provide some of the work, like there's a map of territories. There's still people. I don't know who they are, or I've read, I read spider woman and realized that the character that looks like blade in this is actually diamond back. back. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, uh, I, you know, maybe some words on the page would have helped me out, but like I did find it mostly coherent. And what do you, what do you think about how this story, because a lot of people are going to jump on here, right? Like is that they had a nice rollout inside this issue. They laid this out. I mean, it could have been laid out a little better, I guess, visually and even with some text. But like, I, 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 you know, I think for the most part, there was some clarity here in terms of what's happening. There is going to be some element of, I think, the 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 B stories and mini story and and mini series are are, are going to add color. Not that you're going to be deprived if you don't read them, but I think like it's going to help. And I felt the same way about Spider Island. That was always kind of like my my both like kind of the blessing and curse of Spider Island is I actually felt most of the tie-ins for that book were very good. It helped to read them and they were enjoyable to read. So what what's the harm? And like, that's kind of been my impression so far with the tie-ins we got on this. Yes, the map was a great touch. There's no, what's the harm in adding some additional captions? 
I know they kind of got into like why Shang-Chi is there, but it was still very kind of like off-putting to be like, wait, what? What, what does he do? Like, <laughs> what, what what territory does he run? Uh, aren't you a hero? I, I whatever. I, I, I did joke about it in the recap, but and, and this is not a gang thing necessarily, but so Miles has a, a an energy sword now. Like, what's this? I whatever. It's <laughs> a big part of his title. Okay. Uh, you know, it's been on the cover of several of his issues, Mark. <laughs> okay. I, I read his book, but <laughs> Okay, well, like Miles to Peter. I mean, like, you know, like sometimes I just kind of glass. I, I guess I move too quickly on those comics. Anyway. Well, uh, uh, in regards <clears> to <throat> Shang-Chi, like, let me give a shout out to Gene Luen Yang's excellent Shang-Chi miniseries that he did. He did a couple miniseries over the past few years, and he's an amazing writer. He did books like, like Dragon Hoops I really love and would really recommend. You know, now he's got the American Born Chinese, which is, was adapted into a show. He's an amazing writer and... And he did a great Shang-Chi number of miniseries. And that explains Shang-Chi's kind of more criminal element stuff. So, yeah, they could have or at least said, hey, go check out those miniseries. So let me be the one that does that because they're excellent. And I highly recommend them. Again, you know, I, I referred to this when we were talking about kind of our overall thoughts. But like. I, I also liked in addition to Peter being at the center of this, the 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 how central Janice and Randy were to this. I mean, you know, like I I I, I joked about it in the recap, you know, Grandy kind of going on and on about yeah, you know, remember our wedding where all of your mobster friends showed up and ruined it? Hey, you gotta pay that lip service to kind of you know, get those new readers on board in terms of what's happening here. The, the whole pairing off of Janice and Randy from the get-go, you know, probably had its criticisms and those criticisms might have been warranted, but I feel like they're using the emotional energy of that well here. And, and you know, like the, the, the scenes involving them were really well done. I Like, like they, they were some of the more powerful scenes of this comic. I agree with all all of that. And um, in regards to the gang war, like I think the scope of it is really well laid out here too. those final pages where we see the double page spreads of the gangs rushing towards each other as Madame Mask is laying out her grand plan. You know, one, they're visually really exciting and it's cool to see like this kind of scale in a Spider-Man comic who doesn't often well, it used to not often get to this level of scale. I think that was really exciting. You know, also, like, I, I just think it, it's done doing an even better job of slowly, like, now that, like, Hammerhead is seemingly eliminated, it's like we are really limiting the players in this, you know, fairly quickly so that I know who I'm rooting for and against, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's talk about the heroes. So Peter and Miles take down Slide in what may be an early tag for Spectacular Spider-Man. Funny that they announced that book and then we got this scene. I don't know if there was a plan regarding that, but it felt kind of uh, impactful. What do you think of this scene between Peter and Miles? I thought this was great. And I also, similar to the announcement of Spectacular Spider-Man, I also felt like you know, there was an element of like, what took you so long to have this moment? You know, like, I mean, and you, you you could say that in a lot of instances in this comic, frankly, like, oh, like I've, I've wanted to see some of these interactions. Um, but I, I felt the, the, the Peters and Miles stuff. I mean, this is this was a far more impactful interaction between these characters that we have gotten in, in you know, I, I might suffice to say since 
the Bendis Spider-Man crossover. I, I I don't even know when we've really gotten a, a meaningful interaction between these two characters. I mean, it kind of goes when we were talking about spectacular Spider-Man in our, our Substack conversation, Dan. I mean, it kind of gets to the heart of what we were talking about there, which is like, this is a great concept, but if we're going to just do it the way Marvel has kind of been treating these characters in the comics so far, is it going to have any substance to it? And, and here is your substance. So you can maybe pick nits with the fact that they're kind of like inserting the drama in it now, like in the 11th hour, or maybe it's the 13th hour at this point. But at the same time, like this, it's not like it's not there and for the waiting there. I mean, like Peter has, Peter has failed miles, whether Peter, you know, that's the fault of Marvel or that's the fault of Peter. We could just, you know, we we could, we could have that conversation. But at the same time, like it, it, it was very affirming to have Miles call Peter out for that and do it, I think, in a in a in a both way that is appropriate to the character, but also just appropriate overall. I mean, I you said it all. I, I think Miles finally expresses something that readers have felt for years, which is like, why aren't these two together all the time? You know? I do think it's a little bit awkward or maybe let down by the fact that like miles couches it in Peter's absence for the past six months, you know, being that he was like depressed about MJ because really it's been much longer than that. You know, like it's been since miles was introduced in this universe, Peter is like not even ignored him, but like outright put him down. And yeah, there are moments like, you know, to give Zeb Wells credit, like uh, issue 10, I think it was, or issue nine, the the one with the, you know, the, the tie into the Grand Avengers inheritors thing. Not inheritors. Uh, what am I trying to say? Oh, the um, Eternals. Uh, right. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that arc had like a nice moment where Peter checked in on Miles and and there was a semblance of team upping going on there. It's more just like, man, I, I wish they were just more flat out. Like, why have you never cared about me ever? But, you know, maybe that would be a little too brutal. And Zeb uses it, I think, like that metatextual thing to reinforce his own kind of the emotional journey of Peter, which I'll admit I'm kind of like, let's keep like, I'm glad this gang war thing here is to move that story on because like depressed moping Peter about MJ. I'm like, can, can we be done? You know, like, uh, and maybe that was the, what the moment in, you know, Spidey's first hunt was about was like him finally getting like forgiven by MJ in, in that scene. So yeah, I mean like I just thought the scene really worked and I'm probably bringing too much baggage from the real world into my reading of it, but I did really appreciate it. And I laughed at the dang, so you can do a sword now line, which I'm sure must've hit even harder for you, given you weren't aware of it. <laughs> hey, okay. Let's say, we're not talking about me here, Dan. I was going to say like the, the, the other thing I want to, I, I want to talk about with this scene here though. And I feel like this is, is this another example of, of, Marvel listening to our show, Dan, or, or or maybe maybe it's our text messages. I'm I'm trying to remember, but I feel like maybe it was earlier in our season six episode when we talked about uh, villains with the Heinz brothers, like slide, slide, slide would be a great, like intro villain to a, you know, kind of a sidebar villain to bring into, you know, very Dicko-esque villain. And that's what we got here. So, you know, like, you know, I don't know, like, as Spider Talk goes, so does the Marvel Universe. I just want to point well, that out. Well, I mean, out. you say that, but also in Superior Spider-Man Returns, he had a big 
you know, role in that. We watched we watched uh, Superior take him down. You know, so Slide's getting a bit of a resurgence here. Look, I'm not going to take credit for anything, but if our show did help foreground Slide, you know what? There's a gift, Marvel. Take it for free. There you go. There you go. Mark, you were saying that you really love the Janice and Randy inclusion in this, and it got really emotional. Do you want to talk about what made those scenes work so well for you? We really haven't dealt too much with these characters, obviously, since the the, the wedding issue, uh, which of course was kind of the the precursor to everything that's going on here. And and, and look, like we, we we've kind of talked about this in dribs and drabs over the past couple of years on this show. But like there was a part of me that's always kind of viewed this relationship as being more of kind of a a sight gag, if you will, or just like, you know, drama for drama's sake. Like, oh, of course, Peter's friend slash roommate is dating a supervillain. And of course, the supervillain is the daughter of Randy's father's kind of, you know, childhood tormentor and, you know, star, you know, like it, it, you know, it was very on the nose in terms of like the drama here, even in the wedding issue, which I thought we very much enjoyed it. I very much enjoyed it. But like, you know, like it was kind of like, all right, well, we've gotten to the inevitable conclusion of this relationship was kind of my my view on this. And, you know, when 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 Janice kind of introduces the idea in this comic that she's going to take care of Randy, I didn't necessarily believe that, you know, like I was like, oh, well, that's, you know, they're not going to go down that road because that would be I, I don't know. I feel like that would just be too dark. But then like the way they kind of pivoted and, you know, had Randy, you know, demonstrate a, a real sacrifice with Lookout. You know, we joke about Lookout, but like, you know, he <laughs> sacrifices himself for Janice there. And and like, I mean, everything about what we've got between these two characters in this issue was like emotionally miles ahead of anything we got prior to this. And like, it actually like sold real stakes to their relationship and brought real drama to that in a way that isn't kind of corny, like on the nose drama now, like has kind of left me in a place where obviously I want to see Randy pull through. Yeah. Not, not, not to, not to jump ahead, but there's a part of me that's like, well, you know, if, if they wanted Randy to die, they probably would have just killed him off here, but maybe not. You know, they could, you know, he could still live for a couple issues and then die. I don't, we don't know, but like either way, like provided he, he survives this storyline. Now I'm, I'm, I'm in a place where I'm kind of rooting for the two of them again, you know, in a way that I don't think I was rooting for them before, you know, like I, I, I'm like, Oh, well, like there is, there is, there, there does seem to be love and care and, 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 you know, emotion there in a way that I didn't, think was necessarily apparent prior to that. And it brought real depth to the characters that I think is really necessary here to kind of move the needle on all of these different subplots here. So I, 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 I again, like I just thought this was just excellently executed uh, in terms of characterization in a way that was desperately needed for the two of them. I, I do think like in terms of the jokiness of it, I still at this point, want to know more about Janice Lincoln and what her motivations are dating like Randy is like, you know, an interesting thing given that like they're so clearly couched as like, 
good guy, bad guy, you know, and like, what's it like to date a villain? But like, if you're a villain, you don't see yourself as a villain. Although I don't know, Janice seems to like enjoy reveling in being a, a villain. And so like dating Randy seems very much like outside of that. And so I would still love to get more information about what it is that she sees and draws her to Randy more specifically, because I don't know that we've really gotten that completely. But I, I think the thing that was demonstrated here and you pointed it out is just how much Randy does have love for her. And the line that she says, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm you, are you judging me because I'm a villain, you know? And he rejoined by saying like, no, I don't see you as a villain villain, but I bet whoever sent you does is excellent. You know, even if that's ultimately not true, like Hammerhead knew she wasn't going to kill Randy. But I think that that line like is potentially like devastating to Janice's worldview, you know, because yeah, who, who is she al- allowing to shape her character? I thought that was tremendous. And look, my lookout jokes aside, when he said look out and jumped my heart leapt out of my chest for Randy. Like I thought that was it. Like he's done, you know, and the scene with him in the, on the gurney with her chasing and then like Robbie telling her off, like, get out of here. You don't deserve to be around my son and her crying and running away is devastating. Now what Janice chooses to do with that, like being both embraced by Randy, but rejected by Robbie uh, will be interesting. And I think will likely come to the heart of this story. And I, I agree with you. I really want them to get together. Like, and you know, this is probably going to be a Romeo and Juliet Capulets and et cetera. Montague's. But Montague's, <laughs> there you go. Uh, I just saw that show a couple weeks ago. I don't know why I'm forgetting the Montague's. I, I loved all of this. And yeah, the Montague's are not miles with an energy sword. Like, cause clearly. <laughs> you that. know, I was going to say yeah. it. Look at that. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he yeah, read yeah. my mind folks on the air. My goodness. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I was just going to say to your, to your point about Janice and like, wh- like what are her motivations? I, I feel like we even got growth within this comic here with her because I kind of felt like in the beginning of of this story, she's she's kind of cosplaying as like you know the, the the mafia princess, if you will. You know, like she's coming in, she's she's sitting in her father's chair. You know, by the end of it, when she has that scene with Madame Mask, after basically you know she had Randy taken from her, you know her 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 life has been turned upside down, and 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 like I don't know, like maybe this is me overreading or or over trusting a character a fictional character but like when she's like you know if 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 someone comes for harlem i'm 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 going to destroy them like it like to me like that scene was like like her growth where like she went from being like you know kind of someone cosplaying as as a mobster to being like no like like this is this is personal now like i need to defend this like you know you came you came for my father you came for my fiance you're, you're coming for me like i like i'm i'm growing into this i mean you know does she see herself the villain does she see i don't know but like I was very impressed with that trajectory with Janice there because it, it kind of showed me a, a side to her, a depth to her that I have not seen in any comics outside of maybe the Spencer Superior run, which was usually just played for laughs anyway. But like you know, like it, it just it was it was a big leap for that character, and I and I was I was glad we got that there to kind of set up where she goes next. 
I mean, just reflecting on Janice, like a character invented in Superior Foes of Spider-Man, where it was mostly a joke. Not that the characters weren't real characters, but like, you know, like she was, she first, she didn't appear there first, but she first became really a character there. And what a trajectory she's had to become like a really like substantial part of the Spider-Man supporting cast. I, I think she's like one of these rare versions of like a real success story to think that she's outlived boomerang even is kind of surprising but i think this story really will really rely a lot on like the emotional place that janice lands in i think will be like if i had to imagine what like spider-man's quest for this will be my guess is that it relies a lot on the redemption of janice lincoln and saving her from her worst impulses in, in this comic and 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 doing so like redeem Randy's story in some way as it's put in this comic. So I'm excited to see where that goes. I think this is a really exciting start on, on that front. But Mark, if people wanted to talk about this comic and more Spider-Man stuff, where might they go? Well, Dan, I would say hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider Slack community is absolutely free to join and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and much, much more. Dan, what is happening in the Slack this week? Well, keeping it simple, Mark, we've actually had a great conversation going in the Slack about our introduction to Spider-Man comics. And kind of just trying to figure out, like, we have all these people in the Slack. We have almost 600 people in there now. And everyone has a different place where they enter the series. And I think we've had a fun discussion about how that shaped our different perspectives on the character. You know, we've got a lot of very young people in there, early 20s, uh, that are really, like, in love with the modern era of Spider-Man comics. And we've got old veterans like you and I that have been in it, you know, for you know, before they were even born. You know, it's been an interesting thing to kind of see where everybody comes from and how that changes how they approach things. So um, anyway, come on, join in the fun. Come join our amazing Spider Slack. There's a link in the description to this episode. You can click on it in less than a minute. You can sign up and join in on the conversation. We would love to have you all. Why don't we uh, talk a little bit about the art on this book? Joey Vasquez did the uh, the pencils here. You know, I, I I didn't necessarily dislike the art, but like I I, I also kind of was like, eh, you know, like like this is, you know, I, I understand that there are obvious reasons, and you know, like JRJR has obviously been kind of you know, furiously working away on his ASM issues. I'm sure they, you know, we've already seen some of the covers for them. I'm sure they're going to be awesome when they come out. But man, like this is, this is the kind of story that just had like John Romita Jr. sensibilities written all over it. And that's not what we got here. This was a completely different style uh, and tone of art than that. This was almost Ed McGuinness-esque, Ed, Ed McGuinness-esque, uh, maybe not quite as cartoony, but like, you know, like, I don't know if it was the true feel that we needed here, but, but, you know, you, you have a, I feel like you have a keener eye for this. So I'm curious what, what, what your take on the art was. 
I've actually been watching Joey Vasquez's career on Twitter for quite a while. There's uh, there's a lot of interaction between him and Nick Lowe, and he kind of started as like a products artist and, uh, for Marvel. I think you can see why in the work. Like his dramatic poses of Spider-Man are very attractive. There's that like final page of Spider-Man swinging off to get a team, which I think is really striking. I mean even more so than the image from Gleason of Spider-Man swinging with the sun behind him, which I thought was like a rare fail from, from Gleason. Like you get a strong version of that here. And I think Joey Vasquez's superheroes are really awesome looking. And actually he's someone I've wanted to commission art from for a long time, but you're right. I think tonally, as exciting as it was to see like someone that Nick Lowe had been keeping an eye on get like a tryout book basically in the pages of Spider-Man. And he has done some backups before, but this is like a big meaty book. I feel like he was kind of underserved by being put on this material, like his thin lines and uh, attractive character work is not the kind of like gritty, like, I mean, like, if I could think of an artist to do this book, I would love to. Yeah, J.R. Jarrow would be great. Like, I know Alex Maleev isn't really, like, on, on pull here. But, like, man, we've had some. I mean, even get Juan Ferreira off of Sinister Spider-Man and let him do some of the more, like, weighty, inky, painterly stuff on this. I think it would have brought a completely different feel to this title that, you know, like, and I think it shows up like watching Tombstone get beaten over the head and have like blood, run, like, you know, blast out of his nose like it's a manga. I think that can work, but I don't think that that's the tone of this book. And like, again, I think Joey's a really talented guy. I think his layouts work and are creative. And I think he's got some attractive stuff. I'd love to see him on a, you know, a great lower stakes, younger title than this. But I don't think he's ready for this particular tone of ASM. Hey, so let's talk about that Madame Mask twist, a.k.a., you know, we, we joke about look out. But, you know, this is something we've really been kind of like, you know, the, the calls coming from inside the house. Uh, we've been saying this for, for several weeks, months now, even we knew when when Madame Mask was killed in ASM 31, that that probably was not going to be the end of her story. So with that said, was 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 this the payout, you know, the payoff that you were expecting in terms of how it was revealed or do, do, how effective do you think this swerve was here? I think it's fairly effective. I think, you know, for the most part, I would imagine most people not listening to the show probably didn't see this coming. I do think it telegraphed itself a bit much with the like random girlfriend hanging around. But if you're not clocking this stuff, I could see you missing it and like. You know, I didn't know for a fact that the girlfriend was Madame Mask, but like it seemed if she wasn't, she was another player. And so it was either Tombstone was doing or not Tombstone, Hammerhead. I know I, I said Tombstone last episode every time I meant to say Hammerhead. I don't know why it's the double nouns names, you know, <laughs> but anyway, Hammerhead, like it was either Hammerhead was being false or this person was being false. And it just turned out to be that Madame Mask had a body double and let her die off, which like, yeah, fun job. I, I, I mean, yeah, this is definitely one of those swerves. Like, no, I didn't, I didn't predict it quite to the degree that it was here. I, I, I knew something was up, but like, you know, this is one of those swerves. I think where the, the more you kind of 
you know, game it out in your head, the more problematic it becomes in terms of like what she was bore witness to and and played along with. And I don't know, like I, I like is she sleeping with. with I don't know. Hammerhead? This is like, uh, this is know. quite the long game in a, in a way that I don't think is really behooves anybody. And like, you know, the the, the thing that is worth noting here, um, you know, the, the, there is a quality and, and, you know, correct me if I am under reading something here, Dan, but it's like. You know, we, we get this reveal with Mask. And yes, the, the, I, 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 I did find the brutality of her attack on Hammerhead to be at the very least satisfying. You know what I mean? Like, Hammerhead. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we probably see Hammerhead at his worst he's ever appeared on page right before she bashes him over the head. Yeah. So, like, I mean, like, I'm all for, for that in terms of an outcome uh, in this comic. But, like, you know, it is it does kind of beg the question of, like, so what does she want? You know, like, like what, is, like, if you go back to like, what is, what is, what, you know, she just wants, is she just want chaos? I mean, is she wants to watch the world burn? I mean, which is fine, I guess, but like, I don't know. Like I, I, I we obviously have several issues to learn, but there was a part of me here where I, I, I think to really sell the swerve here, I would have wanted a little bit more like, so why, <laughs> you know, so why'd you do all this? <laughs> I think for me, the problem is it doesn't really change the status quo. It's like there was one puppet master and now there's another puppet master, you know? And like she says explicitly here that she's going to let them like, like tombstones death will undo all the deals that he established and will trigger. Sorry. Yeah. Hammerhead doing it again. Uh, Like hammerheads death will trigger all these deals that he brokered to like in, in the previous issue to be undone and therefore spark a gang war, which we, we see. So I think that's what she's going for. And she says, like, once they all destroy each other, I'll be there to pick up the pieces, you know, basically. So, like, I, I, I get it, but it, it's, like, so early on, it feels like a, like, we didn't even get started and there's a pivot already happening. And then I think the other thing that undermines it a little bit is that, like, Madame Mask is not a Spider-Man villain predominantly. And, like... You know, imagine this is if this was flipped and it was Hammerhead, like we thought we thought was dead, and then he comes back and kills like the person, and he's binded. I think we would be like, oh, cool, like Hammerhead's finally getting his moment. Whereas Madame Mask is like an Iron Man villain, so you know, I'm, and and that's to say, I don't even know enough about Madame Mask to know, like, oh wait, she looked normal with her mask off. I thought she was hideously disfigured under there. You know, maybe, maybe I'm like just not up on my Madame Mask enough. Uh, that's the only thing that keeps me from going like, hurrah! Like I'm not. That's not a villain I typically associate with Spidey. So maybe maybe she has an energy sword too, Dan, that you're not aware of. Uh, you know, I- <laughs> sure. She could. <laughs> she know. could very well. <laughs> you never know. I, I don't have anything to add about Madame Mask, but I, I, I do want to talk a bit about that Peter and Robbie scene uh, towards the end of this comic here. In the days following the release of this comic, I texted you about this, and, and, and among my words were, this is one of my favorite things I have seen in a Spider-Man comic in, in, in quite some time. I don't know. Like, I, I, how about you? You talk about it first, and I, I, I can kind of chime in here because, like, I, I just found this to be incredibly, incredibly effective, incredibly emotional, and kind of, you know, capturing history in terms of characters and dynamics, and and kind of 
subtext in in things in in a way that you know like I don't know this is this is this is high storytelling in my opinion this scene here but what what, what were your thoughts on it I think the only way to elevate this moment beyond what it is is to have like Robbie addressed Peter Parker in the Spider-Man costume. Like that's the only way it could get more elevated, which is like, you know, Robbie over the body of his dying son, like imploring Spider-Man, like this kind of happened because of you go prove yourself. And like I said earlier, I think this scene is the reason gang war exists. Like as a story, like I think this is the heart of the story. Spider-Man is like, okay, I got to prove that I'm back in the game and I am going to make a case for why vigilanteism should even be allowed in the Marvel universe. Right. Like, and like that heroes have a place in society. People should stick their neck out like Randy, you know, to, to get in harm's way. And who better to, to deliver that message than Robbie who has had very many sincere conversations with Spider-Man over the years. Part of what really elevated this whole thing to me, I mean, yes, like you said, like having having Robbie actually address Spider-Man as Peter would have been something here. I mean, if you were gonna if you were gonna cash in that chip, this might have been the place to do it. Uh, we've been kind of speculating. Someone's going to eventually. Yeah, I, I would think. You know, this is this is one of those scenes. I feel like you know we we've, we've we talk about all the time on this show, Dan. The 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 quality of. Spider-Man's supporting cast. I mean, I I would say it's the best supporting cast in comics. Maybe Batman fans would disagree with me, but, you know, whatever. This isn't a Batman show. You know, like, we have not gotten a ton of Spider-Man, Red, uh, Robbie interactions in recent years, but, like, there there is a history uh, uh, to these characters, and sometimes, like, I think as a creator, like you just need to let the history do the work for you. And that's that's what they do here. This is this is definitely a less is more thing. I mean, like, yes, Robbie's message is is highly emotional and very charged and very direct to Peter. You know, he's not sitting there like you did this, you you terrible man. You know, like it's not it's not over the top in terms of it's accusations. It's, you know, you don't get to say this, you know, and like that, that it's just a simple statement and it's, it's pushing so much forward in this scene. Like I, I, like as a writer, like the, everything about this scene was just so enchanting to me. I mean, like even Robbie's whole monologue, like, you know, yes, this is a tragedy, but it's also a story, you know, the, the, the metatextual nature of that statement, you know, like, like, yes, this is the story. This is the story that you're all reading right now. This is gang war. Like this is the gang war, (laughs) you know, you know, it's just letting the simplicity of who these characters are and who they've been for the last 50, 60 years, whatever the cases may be, you know, letting that, push the drama forward and and letting that do the work without over embellishing or over supplementing it with with too much modern nonsense if you will it's just great like this is this i'm gonna i I don't know i'm gonna remember this interaction between these two characters you know for the rest of the time that i read this book because i feel like it's that good in terms of peter and robbie stuff like I, i i cannot think of 
as good of a moment in in recent memory between these two characters. This is akin to you know the Stanley Ramita era in terms of how these characters have have interacted with each other, and I just applaud it. Like I I I I think this is just wonderful comic book storytelling right here. And then just the pacing of it that the scene ends with a giant like boom, explosion, which yeah. You know, like, look, I love Joe Caramagna's work, but like anytime we can get an artist incorporating the lettering into the actual art, I I think it's an, a lost art form in the pages of like Marvel and made and big two comics to really have the artist tackle uh, like onomatopoeia sound lettering. I think it can be really expressive. And here it is. And seeing the color palette change, like Menez remains an absolute chief, you know, like th- this dude is just amazing. Oh, oh, sorry. I, I, this is Brian Valenza who also is amazing. We are spoiled on colorists, I think in the pages of amazing Spider-Man, but like watching that scene turn from like cool to hot with the heat and watching and Spider-Man leaping out the window. And I know it doesn't follow immediately to the end of the big splash at the end, but it might as well. Like Spider-Man is now on a mission you know, he's going to build a team and do what he can. And uh, yeah, I mean, what a, what an ending to a comic. But speaking of endings, the end of our conversation, Mark, uh, do you want to give it a grade? Yeah, I've given this book an A minus. I, I really loved it. I think this is as good as an opening arc if we, as we've gotten, you know, some of the dings that we've talked about, both with the art and, you know, some of the, the secondary characters and their motivations brings it down ever so slightly for me. But like, this is this is really good, really good event storytelling here. Very happy with it. Yeah, and and even more fun. We don't have to wait very long for this event to really like kick off. Like uh, we're we're right at it again. Uh, well, maybe it makes things difficult for Mark and I podcasting, but you know, uh, 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 oh, what was it's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, no one no one cares about uh, our woes. I'm right there with you. I, I've been saying A minus in my head all week, and so I'm glad to hear we're on the same page. So A minus from me. Excellent. Well, Dan, it's that time now, that time for good things to come to an end, including the show. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, as always, this podcast exists because of our listener support on Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, less than the cost of a new comic, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including the very reviews that you're listening to right now the same week that the comics release, plus exclusive artwork and a ton of other bonuses. And a thank you to everyone who already supports us and the work that we do, but plus we wanted to extend a special thanks to our newest contributor, Austin Kamprowski. Thanks, Austin. To download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like JMD, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, David Michelinie, and many more, subscribe to our Amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. This podcast episode was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. Lastly, I don't want to forget to shout out the amazing Spider Talk Substack. 
This week, we're going to be covering all of Gang War in our Substack, everything that's come out so far. So if you want to keep up with all of our thoughts on the ancillary titles and things like that, plus Mark and I are going to be discussing special books from Steve Dicko's personal collection. So if you want to keep up on our thoughts about the entire event, learn a little bit about these crazy new items we've gotten in our collection, that's the place to go. It's amazingspider.substack.com. So Mark, until I recruit our editors, Rick and Alex, to become my body double and your body double, in case someone rigs our podcast studio with a bomb, what's our motto? With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next